Hello everyone, you're with Business Insider. This is Sri Ram Iyer. Welcome to this very special broadcast. Are you wondering when this COVID pandemic will end? When will the first vaccine be found? Is India's infection curve really flattening? Will it get worse before it gets better? To answer all of these questions and a lot more, we have two very special guests today joining us. Kiran Majumdar Shah, the chairperson at Biocon, one of the most inspiring women in a man's world, who started Biocon in that garage in 1978 and built it into a $5 billion company that it is today. And she was recently ranked as one of the world's top 20 uh, people personalities in the biopharmaceuticals industry. Welcome to Business Insider, Dr. Shaw. Also joining us today is Dr. Ramanan Lakshmi Narayan, uh, the founder director of the Center for Disease Dynamics, Economics and Policy. That's a mouthful. It's uh, located in Washington, DC, Washington, DC. And he's also a senior lecturer at the Princeton University. While many of us here in India um, got introduced to Dr. Lakshmi Narayan in this COVID-19 crisis, uh, he has been a lot more popular around the world for a lot of things, uh, not least of all his war against the overuse of antibiotics for many, many years. Uh, thank you, Dr. Lakshmi Narayan, for uh, joining us here on, uh, on Business Insider. Welcome to the both of you uh, for taking time out to discuss some very pressing issues um, in front of us today. And I'm going to start with you, Dr. Lakshmi Narayan. Uh, 33,500 odd cases, you know, 1,694 deaths so far. Uh, I think the government ended up, you know, calling a flatter curve a, a little too soon, um, uh, you know, because we saw a single day surge uh, that really sort of uh, dashed all those hopes. Uh, if at all, uh, when do you see the curve flattening? Uh, I know you, this is much better than what it would be if we had not gone into lockdown. Uh, but still, given the fact that we've gone into lockdown and we have taken the entire population has taken the hardships that it has, when do you think the curve will start flattening for India? Uh, thanks, Sri Ram. Thanks for having me. Um, and uh, hello to all your uh, viewers. So, as um, when we started this uh, this this process, I guess with probably cases early March, but probably even earlier than that, first death around March 13th in Karnataka. Um, we are probably one of the later countries. When I say we, I mean all of South Asia, one of the later parts of the world to receive uh, the virus, which originated in in uh, in China. But it came through the major airports. So these major airports happen to be in some uh, states. They happen to be in uh, Tamil Nadu, Karnataka, uh, you know, Kerala, uh, Delhi, and Bombay. These are the biggest airports. And it is so very contextual because a lot of people are going to come back via these airports again. Again, exactly. <laughs> so we don't have one epidemic in India. We have probably about 20 different epidemics. We probably will have a Northeast epidemic, which will start only you know, in a while from now. So to consider the entire India as one curve and say what is happening here, Maharashtra is doing so bad, you know, UP is doing so much better, doesn't make any sense. Nor does it actually make sense to compare India with Spain or Italy or the US. We're just in a different stage. This is like measuring the growth of a five-year-old and measuring the growth of a 20-year-old and saying that the five-year-old is growing so much faster. Doesn't make any sense at all. This is just different stages in the epidemic. So as far as we look at our own epidemic curve, uh, which seems to be highest, I guess, in Maharashtra, but also, uh, you know, places like Delhi, uh, to some extent, Madhya Pradesh, Gujarat, and Tamil Nadu, the places where it's starting to grow, they just reflect a natural progression. And if you think of an epidemic as really launching one spark into a forest, it doesn't matter if the forest is one acre or 5,000 acres, the growth will be exactly the same. What makes a difference in how big the fire is, is how big your forest is. But the growth is going to be the same. You're going to start one, two, you know, it's going to grow at sort of the same rate. 
So the challenge for India has always been that we are a very large country. So the potential number of cases would be very high. So when I said, you know, six weeks, maybe, maybe more, maybe almost a month ago, that we'll probably have 300 million cases, infections, by the way, uh, you know, that's a very, you know, that was a pretty reasonable number. And I still stand by that because that is a rate at which the, 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 you know, the epidemic curve grows. What people don't pay attention to the fact is what I also said, that most of these cases will be mild or asymptomatic. So 80% we think are going to be mild or asymptomatic, but there is enough of the remainder that gives us cause for worry. And different countries have taken different approaches to solving this. Some have tried to just put a complete break, like New Zealand has said, no COVID inside the country. And some others have taken the exact opposite approach and said, I want to get a herd immunity like Sweden. And India is somewhere in the middle. We've applied a big break. If you really think about it, what we've done with the lockdown, which is really you know, the biggest in human history to put 1.4 billion people under lockdown for such a long period of time is unprecedented in human history. And I hope, you know, it never gets repeated again. Was it supposed to be a temporary solution? It was supposed to be for a three or four week period to buy time. It was to buy time to prepare because if we had not done that, we would be seeing an epidemic peak in about two weeks from now that we would have not been prepared for. This was not ever meant to be uh, a long term Now that we've strategy. bought time, did we prepare well? I think we prepared time? as well as we possibly can. And I say that because I realize that India has its challenges. Not everything is within the control of the government. But within the constraints of what is possible, we've done really quite well. I happen to know that Tamil Nadu, for instance, has something like 1.2 lakh beds ready. They are fully ready. And you know what? To some extent, you can only prepare for things that you can buy at short notice. You can buy ventilators, you can buy beds, you can buy oxygen. You can't buy a pulmonologist in one month. You can't buy a infection control nurse in one month. These were either investments that we made 10 years ago or we just did not. So you will see a big difference in outcomes between Kerala, Tamil Nadu, Karnataka, all of which we made these investments, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and it will pay off for them. And there will be states that didn't make those investments for whom, you know, you can have a lockdown for another three months, six months, it will make no difference for them because you can't buy that at short notice. So we are about as well prepared as we possibly can be. And we have to realize that the virus is inevitable because nobody has immunity to the virus and we are going to have to get back to real life. So we have some artificial notion of control over this virus that we need to let go of very soon. But I'll stop here and, and, uh, and I'd like to hear from, from Kiran as well. No, no, that's okay. I mean, uh, you, you feel about this, uh, you know about this, and therefore you will speak about this uh, at length, and you should. Uh, Dr. Shaw, your response to what uh, Dr. Lakshmanarayan had said. Uh, so I think the key summary here is that uh, India has bought time. That was a good decision, but it can't buy any more time. Um, second is that it has prepared as much as it could, uh, but there is obviously... Uh, a lot of disparity within India, as it is in most other cases. No matter what topic we bring out, India, it's a question, story of many Indias. And that is what is playing out in COVID-19 as well. What is, in your experience, uh, uh, how dangerous or how all right is it to open up the economy right now? What kind of risks uh, that we are playing with while we slowly reopen this economy from a health point of view? Thanks and, uh, you know, thank you for having me on this show and hello to all your listeners. Um, I completely agree with uh, Dr. Lakshmina Rain because uh, he basically has said that um, this is an, a virus which is going to infect very widely. 
and that is uh, a given i don't think we should delude ourselves into believing that this lockdown has stopped the virus from spreading or that this lo- lockdown is going to stop infections that is a bit uh, you know not a good way of looking at uh, this pandemic but what i what i want to say is that he's absolutely right i think we have we are looking at a country which is like europe each part of each state is like a different country in europe with very different um, aspects to each state you know whether it is your genetic makeup whether it's your uh, you know the the uh, nutritional and health uh, standards in each state are different uh, you've got ethnic differences cultural differences and i for one definitely believe you cannot extrapolate data from europe to india because i you know um, a lot of the global data especially in europe is pointing to the fact that almost 50% of the deaths that have happened in countries like italy and france and a few others actually have happened in old age homes and culturally we don't have uh, our social uh, structure does not have th- those kind of old age homes to have these clustered deaths happening in one spot so fast having said that i think we must uh, also recognize the fact that this time that we spent in the lockdown has put us in a state of preparedness and like uh, dr lakshmi narayan said many of the southern states are in a very good state of preparedness the way we've gone about quarantining the way we've gone about um, really managing this uh, risk in terms of surveillance safeguards i think i can speak for karnataka in karnataka we've done a pretty good job because i've seen one thing is that they've actually empowered district level administration to manage the disease they've actually decentralized uh, you know this whole healthcare uh, you know management at a district level there you know the surveillance is also using a lot of technology and i'm i'm quite impressed with the way they've gone about it i mean i i always give this example that when i landed actually i flew back from new york on the 7th of march uh at which time you know america had just uh, new york had just identified one case okay i landed in bangalore on the 9th and that was the day when who actually declared it as a global pandemic pandemic <laughs> but, but from the morning the you know at early morning when i landed in in bangalore airport i must say i was really impressed because they had already started temperature profiling passengers they had asked us to fill in these you know very intricate quarantine forms giving us uh, asking for lots of information and i thought in my usual sense oh we are going to fill up all this information is going to you know be collected and dumped in some room and it's all is going to be forgotten that is the way i looked at it but i was really you know absolutely gobsmacked because a few days later i got a call from a health official asking me about how i was feeling because they said we have uh, this information about you uh, do you have uh, flu like symptoms uh, please check your temperature every day i'm going to call you up for two weeks to make sure that you're okay i was really blown away i said my god if this is the kind of a uh, surveillance they are using this is amazing and then a few weeks later i realized that i'm on the board of infosys and they said by the way we were the ones who translated every one of those quarantine forms onto a database mm-hmm. therefore they were using technology to reach out to every single passenger 
international passenger. I thought that was pretty smart. Okay. So, but I think uh, I think they have done very well. So far, so good. Today, today I would say that we cannot afford to extend the lockdown because the economic collateral damage that will happen for every extra week of lockdown that you are going to have is going to be exponential. Okay, and any extra week of lockdown is not going to actually help you any more. Okay, because I don't think you can do much more than what you've done till now. My view is, and I'd like to be—I'd uh, love to have uh, Dr. Lakshmi Narayan's views on this. My view is that look, globally, ninety percent of the deaths that have happened are over the age of sixty. and 90% of india's population is below the age of 60 so to me india's workforce is very young and i do believe that because we have a young workforce this this young workforce is not likely to get a severe dose of the infection they are likely to have mild and asymptomatic kind of uh, versions of the disease no, i want to come to that because i think and therefore i feel Uh, Dr. Shah, no, can I just finish what I say? And therefore, I believe that they are going to be quite safe going back to work, uh, and this is not going to be a life-threatening exposure for them, is my view. Okay, and I believe. No, so so I think that is connected to the herd immunity. Because the workplaces are actually taking a lot of precautions of insisting that people are temperature profiled, that people have to wear masks. and you know there is social distancing and what have you i believe that the risk mm. of exposure in terms of life threatening exposure is very minuscule and that's why i want people to get back to work so i understand your priority you are saying that the uh, economy must reopen people must get back to work because they just can't afford uh, to not be earning any longer right Uh, but having said that uh, i think there is a uh, it's a delicate question because you know we are also talking about lives and yes we are a younger country uh, but we are also uh, we have a huge population density and you know uh, things tend to spread we are not culturally very um, you know uh, hygienic in many places uh, and it's sometimes it's just not possible in the places that they live in uh, where where most of india lives in now the question is dr lakshmi narayan uh, two questions one is that yes we have done well so far etc does that include the question of testing because that is where this government has been facing a lot of backlash initially it wasn't enough testing then the number amount of testing increased uh, but then again there are gaps like for example uh, you know the icmr uh, norms that uh, kiran highlighted at the, before this conversation started about how Uh, we are not allowed to test a lot of people who we should be testing, and and we need to run through this sooner than later, and that's a view from a lot of people, not me. Is that something that you agree with? So let's first define testing. So testing in uh, the common parlance, as the common person understands, is refers to RT-PCR testing, which is about seventy percent sensitive. Which means in seventy out of a hundred cases of people having the virus, you would pick it up, but only within roughly a eight or ten day window. you know post infection so after about 10 days you're not really going after symptoms you're not really going to pick up anything with the rt pcr so it's a limited value test and we have to understand this is not some gold magic standard why do we test so let's forget about the amount of testing the amount of testing is a secondary question the primary question is why do we test in the initial phase we wanted to test a lot because then you find where the pockets of infection are because then you can contain those people you can slow down the virus 
so the testing in the initial part has the same purpose as the lockdown which is you're trying to slow down the virus that's why you're trying to test we have crossed the stage now no matter how many times icmr or other people say that community transmission has not happened to me community transmission started back in march itself because to me community transmission is the minute you have a case that cannot be traced back to someone else who had the virus that's community transmission and that is the international definition i don't know you know india could use a different definition but that is a international definition once you have community transmission and it's happening in a widespread manner particularly because there are so many people who are asymptomatic or spreading the virus then the, to me and this is you know i don't think it is worth testing every person using this particular criteria and breathlessly waiting for the 9 pm news or the newspaper in the morning to see how many cases happen that's almost irrelevant i think we should get past this nonsense of this daily case reporting stuff because the time for that is come and gone you know the virus is fully established in here and we have statistical ways of estimating how far the virus is spread which is serological methods and other methods our purpose for testing what, what, now what does that say i mean do you have a number on that on that, how that, many that how far the virus is spread yeah how yeah, yeah. my my guess if i had to bet today in fact i just finished an editorial my guess is that there's probably at least a million people have the virus 500000 to a million somewhere in that range who have the virus asymptomatic or been through it so either they've had it you know been through the infections or you know they're having it right now whichever including the asymptomatic and a million actually in a country the size of india is, is almost nothing you know it's literally nothing uh, and and so the we have to understand what we are testing for going forward the testing as dr shaw just said we've got to focus on reducing mortality we've got to get back to work and for us the lockdown economics are very different than in rich countries rich countries both have a high benefit of lockdown because the people can stay in different places and far away from each other and the cost of the lockdown is lower because they can borrow it doesn't destroy livelihoods to the same extent it does does for us for us our benefit of lockdown is somewhat lower and the cost is somewhat higher on a per capita basis so we should use the lockdown much less than these other countries well and you think of the lockdown as being like a break you can't apply that break too often you applied it once because one could be on reducing mortality as we come back to life as an economy as a country we need to make sure that every person above the age of 60 uh, you able to hear me uh, yep yeah every person above the age of 60 who has mild symptoms even is prioritized for the rt pcr test and gets that test so at this point i am less concerned about number of tests per day and more concerned about the availability of tests to people who actually need them that availability might be for someone who's running a business and says i want to know who in my workplace can spread things very fast that's reasonable availability and similarly for economic activity we have to you know we have to balance if you if people have to get together on the sabzi mandi for a market that's perfectly reasonable economic activity that's that's worthwhile if people have to pull together a thousand person wedding or a rock concert which is completely avoidable right now which is not important for the economy let's avoid those let us have mass gatherings when they serve an economic purpose for the country and that could include mumbai suburban trains it could include public transport i think all of which are worth doing now but let us not do things that you, are not you, you worth think doing. you think you think letting uh, mumbai suburban trains ply right now with the kind of crowd that they tend to carry is advisable now with masks i mean face it you're going to get the virus today you're going to get it in 6 months from now 
we had this lockdown to put a break on it this was not meant to be some permanent running away from the virus make everyone wear masks and you gone through this now priority also our thinking has to change we're now stuck in the thinking of 6 weeks ago when we had a different problem today our problem is bringing the economy back to life and we've got to really prioritize testing and pay less attention to this daily or oh, today the case went up tomorrow the case went down these are kind of immaterial people don't realize that this case reporting stuff is based on somebody who got tested 5 days ago the state got the report 3 days ago reported to center yesterday today's test result refers to somebody who got a, the infection probably 3 weeks ago it's almost immaterial right now that's history it's important for epidemiologists we're interested in that information but i don't think this is important for lay public to be tracking daily cases anymore this is i mean i think the media has made too much of a circus out of this entire thing and i would say okay. let us That's figure and point. we'll tell you how I many think, infections uh, there are let's focus on getting let's focus on getting testing to save lives and i think that's where we should really focus right I now let me just address one more thing sridham because uh, because kiran brought it up see the young population does protect us but the only thing that is of concern honestly kiran is the fact that in terms of immune age because of exposures because of air quality because of smoking and all of that we are probably of higher immune age than the average japanese or korean or anyone else even chinese so which is why our cut off for age might not be 65 our cut off is for age might be more like 50 Yeah. yeah, that's about. But otherwise, I agree with you. No, no, I agree with you. But I'm saying most of our young workforce is below the age of forty. Correct. I'm saying that's why I think they're safe. They can totally go back. Yeah. Yeah. Shri Ram, are you there? Shri Ram has frozen. <laughs> We can just have our own conversation. Yeah. So I, I also believe that when it comes to testing, you know, I've also felt that. we should do a little bit of mass screening uh, just for our own comfort and there i have been sort of talking about the fact that we should do in fact a serological tests we should do um, a combination of serological tests pool testing you know that's also becoming quite an interesting opportunity for us and i think um, between that i think you can actually get a pretty good uh, you know understanding of how you're faring and you know to your point about contact tracing you'll be very interested to know how in karnataka every single case that they have identified as an infected person they are trying to do a pretty interesting contact tracing so every time you get a report in karnataka patient number x hmm. is linked to some other contact uh, person which is quite interesting yeah. the way done it you know which i But thought you can't do it for too much longer though it's yeah yeah you can't and i agree with you because you know the and why i say the young one workforce counts is because a company in karnataka recently was shut down because three people were test, had tested positive then they basically contact traced a large number of people in the company and apparently 80 people were uh, positive okay the good news is that all 80 people have recovered with very mild and asymptomatic versions of the disease that's okay. why i go back to saying that we should be in a safe place to work and this business of shutting down operations is not a good idea i think we should have a rapid response to anyone who tests positive get them to quarantine do a quick sanitization and get back to work what is this business of shutting down operations or hospitals for weeks together it doesn't make sense 
so on this in the same breath uh, should we rethink the way we have uh, approached the zoning of red zones orange zones green zones is that is yeah. that something that should change yeah no, in fact, i think you know, we, we should uh, no i feel that this red orange green zone was a good idea i think that was a very good way of actually looking at where the outbreaks were taking place and trying to seal off some of those red spots but i feel that by declaring the whole of bangalore as a red zone is a bit yeah. crazy i think you need to subzone it and in fact the government here is already looking at ward wise subzoning saying that you let's look at wards if this ward has a large number of cases then okay seal off that ward why do you need to seal off the whole city so i that kind of thinking also has to come in you cannot be sealing off the entire delhi uh, you know uh, city or bombay or chennai or anything i think you need to look at subzoning these uh, where the outbreaks are in which suburbs where is it which house it's a little difficult to monitor also right dr lakshmi narayan as in uh, as a lay person i might uh, not be i might not, i'm not sure which zone i'm entering am i entering the right zone not you know that kind of stuff how do we implement something like this see actually uh, so i would go even beyond what what kiran said i think that zoning idea was good 3 weeks ago but today i don't even think that's so good because if you look we plotted testing rates by state and proportion of the state that is declared in the red zone and it's almost a straight line almost a straight line so it means that if you test more you're more likely to have red zones so the places that are not testing don't have <laughs> that many red zones so you know this is a bit meaningless in that sense you're basically penalizing people who are testing i actually yeah. think that you know every urban area is at risk whether they are declared a red zone or not red zone it's like i have limited information this is like the drunk looking for the keys under the lamp post because that's where the light is this is not worth doing any longer let us now okay. focus on getting back to work and saving lives of the above 50s there should be a toll free number for anyone in that age category to call to get an rt pcr at home that they should be they can be given severity mask markers as d dimer troponin and all of these get them into care immediately let us now shift the focus we've done what we can on prevention the virus has spread much more slowly now it's a time to really do the mitigation and do it on the other end of things i think all of this stuff might give some satisfaction to people in terms of tracking these numbers every day but i'll tell you those numbers are quite meaningless we're picking up a small fraction of the infections that are out there and for every case that we're picking up there are probably 15 or 20 that are out there and spreading and uh i i think we should give up this illusion of control over the virus at this point we had control in the early stage and we exercised it well but now we don't have control and now let us try to figure out how to uh, get geared up for the system and I, let me just answer one more thing which is that the reason why we want to do this properly is because we should not end up in a situation where someone with say a moderate case who just needs oxygen with oxygen they would be fine that they end up being severe that's what we want to make sure does not happen we should just make sure that everyone who is actually severe you know fine they might be in bad shape but we should make sure that anyone who is moderate does not become severe for that reason we need to respond early but that's the best we can do at this point okay so i think there's one more question that is troubling a lot of people uh, right now which which is uh, uh, is there going to be a second wave we all know yes but when is it going to be and also the other question that i think in one of your earlier conversations that you pointed out you were expecting the cases in india to peak in july uh, has that premise changed in the last 2 uh, 3 weeks see it's very 
RTL, uh, there, are, there are models that you can do which are in the absence of human behavior. They are the easiest models to do, right? Because then you're just talking about the virus. And on the basis of that, I can tell you that 300 to 500 million infections is a, is a given. But once human behavior and lockdowns come in, we don't know how the virus actually spreads because behavior is playing a strong role and is a breaking function. Today, I would still bet on July as being our, uh, our peak month, but that's on average. Some months, you know, I think Barasha would peak earlier than that. I think Bihar UP may peak only in July or later than July even. So it all is not one peak. There's going to be multiple peaks across the country. But regardless, the fact is that we are in for possibly two or three peaks even. And keep in mind, this is true for the whole world. It's true for the US. It's true for Italy and Spain. Until we cross over the herd immunity or there is a vaccine, we are destined to have the virus keep spreading. So, and, and, uh, and what will be the gap between these peaks? Like every you know, three months? The, the gap between the peaks is, again, the time that it takes for the virus to pick up. On average, it's going to be at about four months. So remember, okay. after the peak, the infections drop off really quite fast. Today, mm. so I said, uh, when you model the virus just like that, it's, it's easier. Today, when we're mm. fitting the model to data that we have from Maharashtra or Karnataka or Tamil Nadu, for instance, it is still too early. So today I can still fit a model which will peak at 250,000 infections, one which will peak at 2 million infections and one should peak at 50 million infections. The true answer is having done hundreds of these models, we don't know just yet. We truly don't know just yet. Maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll have a much better idea. But the, the first one on the 250,000 infections is still uh, valid. 250 million infections. 250, yeah. get See, it's a question of either you get there by July, you get there by August or September, depending on how much we've applied the break. But mm. remember, most of these are mild or asymptomatic infections. Most of these are mild asymptomatic. I, I think, see, this is like, it's important to not fear the virus. It's important to respect the virus. And we need to find an intermediate. We have jumped from not respecting the virus to fearing the virus. When I see people wearing you know, rubber gloves and just being super scared and running away from it. That's also not healthy because that leads to stigma. We need to respect the virus, but we don't need to fear the virus either. I think we can be. Mm -hmm. So, uh, uh, Dr. Shaw, uh, he spoke about, uh, you know, targeting this testing bit, right? That is the more effective way of going about it right now. Uh, and you're, you spoke about how Karnataka's experience with decentralizing the process uh, of, uh, you know, detecting infections. Can we marry these two ideas and in somehow uh, decentralized testing uh, to private agencies, companies that want to, to, you know, take it forward without having to rely on the public infrastructure? Uh, and is, is that something that is possible? And is that something that you would advise? See, I don't think there is any one kind of a formula that has to be applied. I think if you look at uh, what Karnataka has done very well, is that it has very symbiotically worked with the private sector, whether it is private sector hospitals or whether it is private sector diagnostic labs uh, or private sector itself. I mean, if you look at the other parts of the preparedness uh, planning was about PPEs. Now, Karnataka is producing 50% of India's PPEs in a very short time. Even if you look at the rapid tests, okay, we are also doing a lot with the development of the test, the, you know, testing, uh, the, the, you know, offering the tests. And I think we're doing a lot, even the ventilators, you know, the small company in Mysore has now scaled up. So I think there was a lot of that preparedness planning for resources. How do we get ourselves resource ready, 
in the eventuality of being overwhelmed i think that was the way we were looking at it and a lot of interesting models have come up you know you know that uh, apollo hospitals came out with that stay i model which all other hospitals emulated saying okay let's create a dedicated 100 uh, bed uh, covid hospital so that it, the rest of our hospital can keep functioning and that was a good plan and then they said let's have a step up model where we engage hotels who anyway have no business today so let's convert them into covid nursing homes which is like a step up model get all the moderate cases into the hotels and only if they require some you know serious attention should they be stepped up to the hospitals i think that way they wanted to make sure that they are not overwhelmed with every single case coming into the hospital which is what happened in many countries so i think these kind of models are really working very well and i think that's why you're seeing that we are in a state of preparedness that uh, in the eventuality of a large outbreak or a large uh, you know surge in numbers that we can actually handle it and i think that is a good thing and even if you look at the way all the work from home has worked you know 95% of software of the software industry is working from home i think that is fantastic you know if you think about that now if you how was that done in a no in a matter of a week you know the whole uh, infrastructure was made to cope with it you know all the employees were given laptops uh, dongles you know bandwidth was created you know make sure that you have uninterrupted power supply all this was done in no, in a record time so you can see that our rapid response is what helped us to be very very prepared now going forward i think what we need to do is to be there needs to be both safeguards and surveillance working working hand in hand safeguards are really about wearing masks and about temperature profiling people in public spaces and of course uh, making sure that we kind of keep our uh, environment clean i think some of the good things that have happened from covid 19 is we are now you know sort of fining people from spitting and shitting and peeing in public i think that's very good um and i think that should can you know be made to be a very important the years of campaigning for mongering tactic uh, you know we, people couldn't stop spitting now one virus six weeks yeah. it's yeah. done so uh, i think so i think we need to look at being a much cleaner society i think one of the big problems that we've also faced which i think uh, you know ramanan also referred to which was about the fact that because we have poor nutritional Uh, and mm. morbidities in in many of our younger people i think that's where we have a a problem with not uh, being that immune to this virus like other uh, you know 60 year olds are but even lower even younger people are also showing the same thing even in the us i'm sure you would have seen some data that shows that you know the younger people who actually succumbed also were obese you know i think a large number of young people in the us actually succumb because of obesity so these are the kind of other aspects of immunity that we have to look at so okay. my view is that surveillance is very important and that's why you need to do some random but uh, your one line view on the decentralization of testing and you know th- those kind of stuff i think that's very important because you cannot be centralizing anything because we are not 
country is not a homogenous country. No, can private sector entities like companies can they take up that responsibility? Should they Why be doing? Should, I mean, we can only manage our own campuses. Why should we take up the? Uh, no, no, no. I'm talking about your own campuses, your own employees course, who are coming of course, in. Of right, course, right. You and that's that what I'm different. saying. That anyway, all campuses are doing that today. Every single campus that you go to will check your temperature before you enter. Right. Hmm. We have a very strict social distancing, quarantining, masking. All that is there. So I think every workplace today. is actually following a lot of those safeguard practices now to come to surveillance how are you going to do surveillance so you do need to do some kind of frequent randomized testing just mm. to make sure that you're keeping on top of the outbreak in mm. whatever way you can and that's why i think again you need to look at multiple testing methodologies mm. uh, which can be deployed uh, you know at at a district level and for a, from an epidemiological point of view also it's very important to know how it is being handled because this is about a risk first uh, how do you handle a risk you first understand the risk and then you manage the risk there is no such thing as zero risk so by lifting the lockdown you cannot say that oh now we are over the risk the risk mm. is always going to be there the risk mm. will be there even after you get the vaccine why mm. because not everybody is going to be immunized okay and it's like h1n1 and all these things even though there's a vaccine you still have h1n1 you still have why i mean look at the numbers we have in dengue chikungunya and all these various other uh, uh, you know sort of infective uh, infectious diseases so i think this is going to go on for a long time the vaccine that you will get by the end of this year will be for emergency use only if it is approved because vaccines do take a long time because you have to know how long do they endure in your body right mm. so the reason why a vaccine development takes a long time the phase 1 will really do a dose escalation to see what is the optimal dose for an immune response then you have to do a phase 2 to see whether you can do an immune response in all age groups because when you do a phase 1 you do it in young healthy volunteers who are at minimal risk and then when you go to a phase 3 you will do it in a larger population and make sure that the same immune response is done is is uh, given by the people who are uh, vaccinated but then you have to see how long does it stay around how long are you immunized for so right now they might say okay look there is a good immune thing and from extrapolation this should last for a year so that's why they will approve it conditionally and say okay this is now for an emergency use please start using it and mm-hmm. as the data becomes evident they'll say this is the time for you know the, the time cycle in which you can you need to revaccinate let's put it that way. great you you seamlessly transitioned into my new next question so i didn't have to ask it uh, and therefore thank you for that uh, kiran uh, but i want to i have a follow up to your answer though uh, which is basically you are working on biocontin gene is working on a vaccine right now um where at what stage are you in and when are you when will you be ready for human trials uh, if at all uh, so let me put it this way the government of india actually is ha- asking various companies large companies to help the small vaccine biotech companies uh, to help them you know expedite and advance their program so we are helping a few of them we are not developing our own vaccine but we are helping a few of these companies who are developing vaccines based on Uh, either live attenuated vaccines or a virosomal vaccine 
we're just helping them with you know ex- accelerating their pace of work so that they can at least get into the clinic probably in 9 months time that is okay. the preclinical phase it is at but i would say that just to comment on the vaccine development in the world and as you know as we speak eight vaccines are already in the clinic mm-hmm. i think the oxford vaccine and the chinese vaccine are certainly in a in, in a more advanced uh, clinical phase as is the german vaccine the two uh, us vaccines are of course uh, much talked about but we really don't know whether these rna vaccines will really work uh, like they they are, they they are considered to so there there's a you know the jury is out there to see is it going to really work and even if it does work i don't think that's a vaccine that india will really benefit from because these are very expensive vaccines these are vaccines that need to be stored at minus 80 degrees centigrade these are vaccines that need to be uh, delivered in a very in 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 a intravenous way so i don't think those are vaccines that india can deliver so we are much more comfortable with a jab and a low cost vaccine which is what i think the oxford and chinese vaccines are all about these are more typical conventional vaccines okay uh, what about uh, so before i go to uh, dr lakshminarayan with the next question uh, you said 9 months to uh, get to clinical trials in india yes i mean yeah. indian, indian vaccine programs i think take some time before they get into the clinic maybe 6 to 9 months depending on which that uh, that program is at least the ones we are working on i would not imagine that they can get it make it to the clinic before 9 months okay and uh, dr lakshmanan do you concur with uh, what kiran is saying about um, you know the quality of vaccines around the world uh, it is the same do you have the same pecking order uh, you know chinese uh, german and oxford first right oxford one first the one that serum is working on oxford first chinese is second germans the third is that the same pecking no, order no no the chinese have? is the most advanced by the way okay <laughs> by oxford followed by germans <laughs> from, from a clinical advanced okay 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 mm. are these the ones that had the best shot yeah i'll take it a different way hmm yeah i see i i i i would i think that dr shaw is much better informed on this than i am so i would prefer to her Uh, I think. See, basically, what people have to understand is there are a few approaches. All of them have pros and cons. So, from a lay person's perspective, you're either talking about an inactivated vaccine, which has the advantage that side effects are low, but scale up is harder. We need more biosafety to to manufacture these vaccines. So, everything has a plus and a minus. So, don't get overexcited about anything. Is what I would yeah. say. If you talk about the mRNA vaccine, yes, there's an advantage there. but the side effects issue is 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 also different any of these vector based vaccine where you're taking a different platform like an adenovirus the, there's a strong possibility that the body's already immune to that adenovirus because we've been exposed to it in india and therefore that vaccine won't take with us so there is no great idea here every idea out there every platform has pluses and minuses and that's only through development after that the scale up is a whole other issue keep in mind very important thing in this country we have 26 million children born every year we struggle to vaccinate even 70% of those children okay 70% of 26 million children we struggle to vaccinate how we suddenly think that overnight we're going to go and vaccinate 1.4 billion people is something to be thought about okay so you know in my mind i don't even think of vaccines as really being a major option for india into 2022 into 2022 because it's not just a matter of even getting the vaccine it's how we actually deliver it and for uh, for a few years i used to work on the immunization program in india and i know the challenges 
even for and the capacity have- you know the capacity yeah. itself is huge i mean you cannot even even if it's approved believe me even if it is approved by the end of the year for the next one year you're not going to get more than maybe 10 million doses at best 10 or 20 million doses how are you going to vaccinate a billion people <laughs> so i think so we are doses out- itself is a big thing you know so for all, for all those people who are watching it right now uh, please don't get uh, you know um, sobered by this i mean be sobered rather but don't get depressed uh, what they are trying to say is your best bet is at cleanliness your best bet is at wearing masks your best bet is at keep protecting yourself so that you can protect your family uh, and in the meantime and the don't fear and don't fear the virus yes and don't fear the virus respect it as you would if you had a very strict father uh, oh mother so uh, <laughs> yeah i mean you know you stay away from him when he comes back from work <laughs> so uh, the other important no, no, thing no, i want to actually uh, you know the the and i was just going to say that uh, you know the sphere stuff i just want to emphasize because uh, dr shaw and i we were on another panel and we discussed this uh, we really should remind people that stigma is uh, going to be a huge yeah. issue just because really? someone has coronavirus please do not shun them please do not run away from them in fact uh, they are good people, they are, they are very they are saving you they are exactly. saving you exactly yeah. so stigma is going to be one of our big killers when we see stigma you know causing uh, healthcare workers to be owned or you know uh, you know other people to be driven away that's terrible that is just that's lack of information and lack of science so let's be careful about that and then uh, so there is another challenge that is probably going to come our way next month uh, because the monsoons are going to come there's going to be malaria uh, who there are a couple of reports uh, this the other i'll i'll just read out the name of the other institute that has released that which is abdul latif jamil institute of disease and emergency analytics um uh, these are uh, there are a couple of these reports which say that in the process of focusing too much on covid uh, we are uh, sort of forsaking patients with other diseases and there is probably going to be another outburst and particularly of something like malaria uh, in when the monsoon hits uh, india next month uh, how afraid are you about that and how is it how much is it going to stretch our system uh, ramanan i'll go with you first on this Malaria is a problem that's contained in our country to Orissa and the northeast. It's not a widespread problem. We have malaria under control. Uh we will have a flu season. We have a bi-seasonal flu which happens in the winter and then post monsoon and we that does to covid transmission but we will have a regular flu season. Uh but we'll have dengue which is a you know year round uh, sorry not year round but uh, annual problem. and uh, and we've had a couple of seasons of mild so every third year we're in for a due for a tough dengue season so we love to watch out for that but all of this will be uh, remedied to some extent once you allow people back to regular life and allow them access to healthcare remember 80% of healthcare in this country is private you've got to allow people to go to doctors you've got to allow clinics to open up so and uh regardless of red zone green zone just because i'm in red zone doesn't mean i need to, i don't need to go to the doctor so i think bringing stuff back to life i mean i agree i i was one of the first to ask for this lockdown in a very public way but i really do think it's time to end this lockdown i think it's it was served a particular purpose but now if we extend it it's really going to cost a tons of lives for things like this which is we'll kill more people with other conditions people who need dialysis people who need mm. surgeries and so forth and put off surgery for a month perhaps but you can't put off surgery for 6 months so i think it's really time to come back to life and i'll just uh, you know say that 
you know, the, the foreign minister of Singapore early in the pandemic, he said, every country is going to be tested on three things uh, during the pandemic. One is how good your health system is. Second is how good your governance is. And third is how good your people are in terms of respecting and being disciplined. You know, I tend to think of this as a lathi, which is the governance. There's a mask, which is our self-discipline and the stethoscope. Our stethoscope has always been weak, especially in the northern states. Now, if our masking is good, then we don't have to rely on the lathi. But if we don't do the mask and the stethoscope, it's going to be the lathi for us. And hopefully that's not going to be our future. And I think... Uh, I think we really should take it seriously, but we need to come back to life. Okay. Uh, Kiran, uh, <clears throat> as, a, as an entrepreneur, as somebody, I mean, we, we definitely need to ask you about this. Uh, you know, we, every day, we, everyone's talking about how it's changing the world, it's changing the world. Uh, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's running Biocon, how would you like to pivot Biocon in the post-COVID world? I mean, uh, vaccine is just one product, right? Uh, what would be the overall long-term strategy be? What therapeutic areas will you add? Will you drop? Uh, will you think about repositioning Biocon or the product full portfolio? Where the revenue comes from? Which segment? Do these things change? Is that something that worries you now? Well, I think uh, you know from uh, from in, in terms of the the business we are in. I think it's such an important business. I think right now we are so focused on COVID that we forget that there are any other diseases. I mean. Mm -hmm. Cancer and diabetes are big chronic diseases and they are huge, very expensive diseases. So I think you cannot uh, wish away these kind of chronic diseases or, you know, uh, or, or hope that you, know, you don't have to worry about these kind of diseases anymore. I mean, that's not a post-COVID world. Post-COVID world is going to be the real world getting us back to reality, you know, just like Ramanan said. You know, like today, uh, patients are finding it. There's just one more disease to hospitals. deal with, along with everything else. Yeah, they're finding it difficult to go to hospitals. Even cancer patients who need to have weekly chemotherapies are told now come once in a month. Now it doesn't work that way. That but now going against the standard of care and the the, the the therapy itself. So these are not good things that are happening. So mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a lot more deaths happening because of these kind of measures that you're taking of not allowing patients to get their normal uh, care. Uh, so I think this is very dangerous. And I think we so have from a business point of view, what does, what does it change? In yeah, the business but for point? us, I would say from a, from an overall business point of view, there are some very interesting things that we have now all learned to do. One is to have these virtual meetings. And I think these virtual meetings are actually proving to be quite efficient because unlike in the past where you had to keep sort of going, I used to spend so much time commuting. Like if I had to have a meeting, I'd probably spend three hours going back and forth in the Bangalore traffic. Today, I can just say, look, I'd like to be on a virtual meeting or a virtual panel. And I think people are getting so used to this that I think all the kind of things that we used to do in the past might be uh, hugely reduced. Okay. Then, of course, I think um, the digital world is going to be a very important world. I think the healthcare system is disrupted already because we are already seeing a lot of online things happening, even in, in, in healthcare. E-pharmacies, for a long time, there was this debate and controversy about should we, should we not. I think today e-pharmacies have become a reality, right? Now, uh, digital therapeutics, that was all talked about and, you know, you know will the payers and prescribers be comfortable with it? Will the patients be comfortable with it? I think to this realization that we are going to be a much more digital world 
is the way then you need to reposition yourself so so these are the you know this is something that is true for you know across the sector i was talking about biocon in particular because you have found yourself at the crux of this uh, epidemic in you know because of your expertise in vaccine because of your expertise in you know Yeah. Uh, you know to a certain extent well, virology well let me put it this way it was not biocon that did all this we yeah. have we have a research services company called synge yeah synge yeah synge yeah. has a lot of viral cap- capability so they've been doing a lot of research services in virology and mm. that's why they have a good understanding of the diagnostic space the uh you know the whole uh, vaccine development space because they've been working with companies so will you now be sort of investing more in it i think that's the question that i'm arriving well, at well i think we'll just make virology a much more deeper division in syngene than it was mm-hmm. right until now i mean right now we're looking at it you know you know let's face it the world never bothered about infectious diseases because they felt it was a third world problem today i think there's going to be a lot more focus on infectious diseases you know mm-hmm. uh, so i think as far as we are concerned yes we had a focus on virology but we'll deepen it because now we so, so, are many other things that you should do because uh, i've been telling even the government that they need to have a far deeper focus on on creating a viral repository doing much deeper viral research and so on and so forth because you will need to start tracking uh, you know the, uh, the mutations that are happening in every virus and of course mm-hmm. you hearing all these stories on whatsapp and this and that now you don't know how much of it is true and how much of it is not true so that's the mm-hmm. big danger today uh, uh, it also makes uh, i mean i don't want to uh, this is i i want viewers to know that this is not in the context of covid particularly but this here is a business that is running sinjin was headed for an ipo it's obviously more attractive now no it was it's already a listed company oh okay Sinjin is a two uh, billion. I, I, I will take that back. Sorry, uh, I'll take that back. Uh, this is a wrong question, suggested to me. But uh, okay, uh, sorry for that. Uh, so, uh, so Sinjin is obviously going to get any bigger. Do you want to put a number to that? In in, in terms, terms of in terms of growth uh, visibility. No, I think Sinjin has always been a very strong growth company, and now I think the only thing is that it. Uh, I think the research needs of. of various uh, organizations is expanding uh, quite a lot and of mm-hmm. course also considering the fact that a lot of chinese companies you also used to offer research services mm-hmm. and that kind of discomfort that the us has towards china you might see a lot of that kind of business coming to india that's fantastic because you are otherwise and i think the uh, i made a mistake in reading i'll correct myself uh, the question was about biocon biologics not sinjin yeah. Uh, that's so, a different. So, that's a different yeah, business, yeah. and that's of course uh, being planned in the next few years. Okay. So now uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, Dr. Lakshmi Narayan. Uh, in general, uh, so so I just want to sort of, is there any top three myths about this whole COVID thing that uh, you have encountered? The most bizarre thing that you have seen on the internet, or somebody asks you uh, that you want to bust uh, for the young audience here that's watching us. you know this they're so bizarre that i don't think it's worth repeating those but i'll get to some very <laughs> common sensical stuff which i don't think a lot of people who are who pay attention to this even understand uh and it's worth repeating again it's worth repeating because this is a virus to which we have no immunity you've got to really let that sink in and therefore there is no getting away from it we're all going to get infected at some point or the other until a vaccine arrives and we've just discussed how that's going to be a very long time away 
that's the reason why curing the virus is not really going to be such a great solution second is that it's going to be and again not exactly to what your point is it's is really a function of how long we want to take take to get to that point where we all have this herd immunity and it we can do it after breaking the economy five times seven times 10 times two times it's a really up to it's a policy decision but we're going to have to get there at some point in time and that is really what your business viewers should be really focused on which is uh what's the optimal number of steps you know how many how many times do you, do you put the brake on to get there think of it as you know coming down a mountain and you can use the brake only a few times you can't break the car entirely because you don't go anywhere at all you got to get down that mountain but how do you do it without going off the cliff that's really what our problem is at this this point in time and i think the third thing to keep in mind is that it is uh you know it, this i mean this is something which again is not an immediate business sort of a thing but you really look at the scale of what we're spending on covid we're spending about 6 or 7 billion dollars of lost gdp per day okay you multiply that by about 40 days or maybe 50 days you're talking about 350 billion dollars you know our annual health budget for the country is just about 50000 crores a small fraction of that 10 billion dollars if we had spent more just these last 20 years we would not be running scared of this virus like this and i think it the really important lesson is that we have to prioritize health and invest in health for the long term and it has to be done at the times when there's really no epidemic nothing else happening and uh, if your viewers are in positions to influence that kind of a thinking keep in mind that at the end of the day what do we learn from covid what we've learned is when all is said and done the only thing we really need is we need our health we need some food on the table and we want our family around us that's pretty much all it is when we really you know shrunk down to that very little amount of need and if that is really what we're after then we need to really reprioritize our thinking to be all, they're all down to the last layer of the maslow's hierarchy absolutely and absolutely and it's not just for us it's all the hungry homeless people out there as well so you know it is really about making sure that everybody has that very core part and it's it's something to it's something to really remember what i think got. you should also and since we are talking to about this uh, you know sort of an expert view on this you should also the uh, ramnan speak about the affordability of these uh, testing etc that's happening right now there is a lot of hue and cry across india about uh, you know right now the the kind of bills that a lot of uh, uh, private hospitals are handing out to uh, patients uh, you know there is a cap on the uh, cost that can be charged for the test but uh, you know consumables and this and that and so many other you know i'll let her show answer that i think she's on government committees that are dealing with with this so uh, what do i Yeah. Yeah. So I think you know if you look at uh, this whole controversy over the cost of testing, first and foremost, I think the government should be test, uh, paying for these tests. Mm. Uh, to me, that's really where it all starts. And if you cannot expect a private diagnostic lab to be testing free, that is the point I'm trying to make. That you know these guys run a business. They have to run their business. They are not there for. Uh, providing charitable uh, tests to the populations at large i mean the government has a role to play the government has to basically uh, you know uh, underwrite the testing cost and i think that's where the whole problem is and but unfortunately the private sector diagnosed no, i think that debate was settled by the court so it's now over i'm saying no the it's not, not been settled by the court the courts just said that the private sector diagnostic centers can charge that's all they've said 
and they oh, said so they said that it has to be 400 bucks and not the uh, 650 that no, no. it was being charged uh-huh. that was that was your confusing the serological tests okay uh-huh. we are okay. talking about the rt pcr test rt pcr okay. rt pcr tests there was a huge controversy about the 4500 maximum retail price that the government had set yeah that was based on their own costs because they were basing it on imported kit costs and of course the cost of doing the whole thing is expensive an rt pcr per patient is quite expensive if you do it as a uh, if if you have a mass procurement of rt pcr kits it can be cheaper and there are uh, diagnostic labs who have come to arrangements with state government saying okay if you buy 50000 tests we'll give it to you for 2000 rupees so that is the kind of things that are being discussed but i think the controversy was that oh why are these guys charging so much and they shouldn't charge so much and uh, you know they should do it free of cost and we think why should they do it free of cost yeah it is the government's job to underwrite that cost and if the government underwrites it okay that's fine hmm. they can negotiate with whatever price they do it at because it's a bulk procurement no so i am talking i'm also talking about hospitals and the kind of charging well you know every sector today is charging more than what they should i mean it's because uh, uh, you know the hospitals right now are also in a bad shape you know they've lost their business almost by 50 70% they have no patients coming to those hospitals and so when they are now treating patients they are also finding that their investments are becoming more expensive because in the past not everyone had to wear a protective ppe right today everyone whatever the healthcare whether it's a paramedical or whether it's the doctor or whether it's the nurse they're all wearing high very high levels of protective gear which they never used to wear so these are additional costs for the hospital please remember that and i think you know their 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 whole their whole sanitization procedures are much more intense so i'm sure their costs are going up but i i'm pretty sure be uh, sure that there is definitely a problem there because the gap between 400 to 3000 3500 uh, you know on certain tests uh, the serology tests that you were talking about um there is a lot of issues that are cropping up and i think uh, there has to be some clear but messaging you know, from i'll tell you something shriram all these tests you know the 400 uh, to 600 rupees that you're talking about those yeah. you know those are immaterial those are like saying that look if the government wants to give these tests they can give it for free okay mm. if there's a private sector agency who's going to sell the test they're going to make a margin yeah they're not going to sell definitely it. yeah Okay. but 60% margin was always questionable right but look i don't think you should be discussing this kind of a thing on this at this no 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 uh, there is i, I mean just it, saying, the topic let us make up our minds yeah do you want to be a free market competitive economy or do you want to be a social welfare economy if you want to be a social welfare economy nationalize everyone that's fine i think that that but is definitely uh, for another debate no but i'm that's just saying this is the time. hypocrisy that we have that on one no, 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 no. want a free market economy you want a yeah. stock market you want a, a vibrant stock market and yet you mm-hmm. want everything to be price controlled ha huh. <laughs> no, no 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 it's not about being price controlled i am not batting for that at all that's no, what i said so the discussion we are having no i mean no, no, definitely if you allow no. a private sector to sell a product then the competitive mm-hmm. forces are going to decide what is the price at which you can sell the same product right we are 
uh, we are a country a free ma- market or at least aspiring free market uh, where we have a anti profiteering law so uh, in with, built into the what GST, do you mean by anti profiteering law i mean it's there's no such the G- thing as G- profiteering law either you make a profit no, no, so, or don't make a profit no 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 so gst no, under the gst the government can pull you up no no government can pull companies up for if they are charging way too much uh, citing gst this was happened during the transition period if you remember right no but i'm saying that is a separate conversation altogether the free market or you know keynes or hayek or Ram, let, let, let me just address that okay i think you were caught to something right at the beginning i i think that given the level of preparedness most people most people in terms of numbers should expect to get free treatment for covid because of the huge capacity that's been built up and i think that although we are not used to going to the government sector for healthcare in general for this particular situation i think they have the protocols and the equipment all set up right there so at least again i can't speak for up or bihar because i don't know how well they are set up but if i were in bangalore or chennai for instance i would go straight to the government facility for this Mm-hmm. so i i think definitely i mean going somewhere else then it's it's the really we have seen that improvement in kerala tamil nadu karnataka and you, you know, know that is why i think the southern states are managing it yeah. better because i think our health systems are in a better shape we've invested a little more in our health systems and mm-hmm. that is why even the testing ought to be free so i should be you know the only people who should be paying for the test is like if i'm an employer wanting to test my employees i have to pay for that that i should mm-hmm. the government to do it yeah. mm-hmm. i think there is definitely need for a conversation or a deeper conversation on this instead of blame games and it's the idea is not that yeah so i am just saying let's be reasonable yeah. if you as an yeah. individual want to get yourself tested then you pay for it but if you are mm-hmm. someone who needs to be tested then the government should pay for it definitely and uh, i think with that we are completely timed out uh, this went on uh, much longer than i uh, we had <laughs> had anticipated but it, i'm always glad with kiran it always happens we end up having a lot of conversations and she's very <laughs> articulate and this is my first time with uh, ramanand so i absolutely enjoyed it i hope you did too uh, and i think we covered a fairly large uh, you know swaths of topics and you know try to address as many things as we can and as simply as we can So I think I'm going to repeat some of the headlines that we got out of this, and you might correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, respect the virus, uh, you know. Be sa- your safety. Uh, you are responsible for it. It's not just the government's uh, job. Or you have to be um, the vaccine. Don't keep holding on to you know, waiting with bated breath for the vaccine because that's not going to solve your problem. The first vaccines from India will be sort of you know six to nine months before they hit clinical trials. and by the time they hit the market it might be another year or so and it's not probably going to land up in your wallet uh, in your pocket so don't even wait for that and number 3 is uh, you know uh, china is a uh, first vaccine that might uh, that's a shot then is yeah, it, it, and then is the one from germany the ones from us so it depends on what yeah, works and ones from the ones that are being developed in the us may not be of any use to us according to dr shah well not used to us no it might be used to us but we may not be able to afford it to afford it right okay <laughs> uh, definitely that and uh, more importantly we also need to discuss at the government level and sort of have a more sort of uh, you know discussion based approach to arrive at how to make these tests affordable for everyone and accessible for everyone uh, should government foot the bill 
uh, you know, there are companies making a lots of donations to the PM Cares Fund. The government itself is increasing excise hike on petrol every day. Uh, you know, uh, there has to be some kind of a way to make it affordable and accessible for the people at large who need it the most. And the most important bit: don't look at the daily testing figures and the infection numbers because it doesn't matter. It only adds to your anxiety levels and nothing else. Uh, what you should look at is how are we going about? Are we targeting the people who are the most vulnerable? People who live in dense places, people who are old, people who are fat. Because <laughs> I'm just making light of a small comment, but like uh, Dr. Shah pointed out, a lot of people who died in the U.S. were obese. The young people who died in there. So you know those kind of we need to start targeting. I think we need uh, to track deaths. Yes, that's more. And instead of treating the infection, we have to now start target stopping the mortality rate, as Ramanan explained. I think that's what should be the next target. Uh, should be. So I think I've fairly summarized the most important bits here. Stigma. Those stigma. Who, be, be aware and the stigma. Stigma. Yes, and I don't think till WhatsApp is there, there is going to be any cure to that. But uh, please don't go about hitting people who you think have coronavirus because that doesn't solve the problem. Uh, please accept them. Uh, this is just like you know another diabetes or any other uh, chronic disease that's going to be there with us for a very long time. You can't wish it away. Uh, and 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 the better, the safer they are, the well treated they are, the more safer you are going to be in the days to come. Uh, I think uh, with that, I will uh, thank both my guests for taking time out. Um, you know, we will once again. I hope we meet very soon uh, and and you know take stock. Of the progress that we make over the next few weeks, um, I hope the economy is opened again, as our guests uh, wished for, and we are all back in action, safe with masks, and to the best of our health and abilities. Thank you, everyone, for joining us.